You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Bame, Milwaukee Bucks supporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of Brewhoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm good, Eric. We were just discussing uh, after we had our lovely conversation with our friend J.J. Bursch about movies last night. Um, I don't know how the Mr. Rogers documentary, Won't You Be My Name, came up. up. You brought it up. Um, yep. And I was doing work and... Staying up late, and I just put it on. It was, I think, it was on uh, HBO Go here, and um, you know, I had seen a uh, a clip that was from when he was when, when Fred Rogers was inducted into the Television Hall of Fame, and um, there was a surprise uh, intro by um, a, a a man who, as a child, had been on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood multiple times. He um, was uh, a kid who was in a wheelchair. And, you know, came on multiple times and explained what it was like to be, you know, a kid in a wheelchair and kind of, you know, provide his perspective. And, um, you know, just this like amazing moment of like him sharing this feeling of, you know, with this with Mr. Rogers, who, you know, has played this huge role in a lot of kids lives growing up and uh, total waterworks, you know, like, you know, I, I teared up immediately when I saw this clip a while back and then rewatch it and then started watch the documentary and it's a really interesting documentary and um you know i i remember watching mr rogers growing up i don't really remember like particularly like loving the show i mean it's kind of you know more uh i guess educational and like more subtle and not like oh yeah let's watch mr rogers uh but it was a Mm -hmm. it was a great uh it was definitely a, a really cool documentary so if people like documentaries and like um interesting uplifting stories uh won't you be my neighbor check it out and that is the that's the extent of our uh, of our carryover from yesterday's movie movie <laughs> podcast which uh um i enjoyed and uh i guess if ever there was an excuse to do it um other than in the summer it's it's now when we have a few days uh but i guess we want to get back to a little bit of basketball discussion too. Yeah, honestly, if you would have told me you watched that and didn't tear up, I would have called you a liar to your face yeah. uh, because there's just no way. And also, I will say, it. I don't think it's ever worked out like this before, but to have All-Star break be before Oscar week, like, I don't think that's happened before, like before Oscar weekend. Like, if that happens going forward, I would just be delighted because then I could talk to JJ and get like Oscar predictions and Oscar talk before the Oscars like that that just were like the timing of it was all perfect so um, for those of you that listened to our hour and a half dissertation on this year's uh, set of movies thank you Um, hopefully you know you enjoyed it and if you didn't because you heard we were going to talk movies and not basketball well 
we're going to talk basketball today. So we're happy to have you back. So there's a couple things I want to talk about. Ironically enough, we're going to start with the movie. Um, because we're going to talk about the Giannis documentary a little bit uh, that happened on Saturday on TNT before All-Star Saturday night. And, um, you know, I guess to kind of set the scene, it was just about Giannis and his trip over and, you know, how he kind of got to... I wouldn't say how he got to where he is today. It was uh, to me. I think it focused more on the the very formative years and how he actually got to the United States, as opposed to how he has thrived now in the United States. But I, d- I still think there were there were details and, and things within all of that that you know you learned even more about. So, um, any takeaways that you took from it? I know there's a couple things I thought about throughout it, but I I'm curious where your brain went, Frank. Yeah, I mean, all obviously, um, if you're a Bucks fan, you you by default are going to enjoy Giannis content, um, and this was especially interesting just because it uh, it obviously gets into um, you know his backstory, which as much as we may know a lot about it, um, you know, th- there's there will always be that air of mystery, and you know, there's only so much you know we've we've heard about it, and and so I think getting more of a deep dive into that was, was of course interesting. Um, seeing it through the lens of, you know, um, primarily his agents was, was interesting, you know, talking about sort of like the, the discovery, you know, I mean, it is called finding on us, the discovery of that. And, um, and then also, you know, just sort of um, like when he first comes to America and, you know, they were obviously, he didn't have, you know, that base of support in the U S so that, that was interesting. Um, but obviously it was also, I mean, it was a 30 minute thing, right? So obviously it wasn't, um, a full blown feature and, you know, once you get to the U S I mean, I, I did think it was interesting because there was, I, I think, I think there was maybe a, maybe one brief clip of his brother's, I think it may be Alex. Was Alex featured like really Alex, briefly? Yes. Talking. Yeah. But it was a little surprising because like how, like I kept waiting for there to be like more people in it. Um, and obviously like, I mean, Giannis and, and Alex Saratsis are probably the, the primary people in it. So, I mean, obviously you've got Giannis, the primary source there. So that's important. Um, but then it doesn't really kind of expand much beyond that. Like you don't get the perspective of, you know, other people with the box, other people in the NBA, um, even, you know, his other family members don't really... Um, offer their kind of opinion of things so um so you know it was again it was like a fairly narrow kind of you know it was obviously not a uh documentary that had been years in the making or something like that right like there <laughs> it was um more sort of a i don't want to call it opportunistic but you know it was just sort of thrown together you know it was really about a couple of interviews that and a lot of spliced footage and um you know, not necessarily footage we haven't seen before, but some some interesting anecdotes that we hadn't seen before, and obviously anything to uh, you know build the the Giannis mythology is always fun. Yeah, uh, a little Greek mythology on a Saturday night. <laughs> uh, yeah, had to get it in there. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it, so. I got an answer to one thing I've always been very curious about, and. I can't remember if I mentioned on this podcast or I mentioned elsewhere. My brain kind of goes uh, during the all-star break because it doesn't have to work that hard. Um, But I remember wondering just how it was possible that Giannis would watch clips on the internet. 
Yeah. Because he was talking about how, like in the past, he's talked about, you know, I, I watched clips of this or I saw this on YouTube and I watched this person's highlights. And in my head, I was like, how is that even possible? Uh, because obviously his, his family was very poor and I was just like, there's no way there was a computer in the household. So how did he do it? And then, you know, he mentioned one of the things that he would do would, he'd use a, I think like a dollar or something to get like 30 minutes of internet at the local internet cafe. And he would use it watching Alan Iverson highlights. And it was just like, okay, now I get it. Cause that was always one question that I had. So I am happy that I got an answer to that question because I didn't know that. So that was nice. Uh, just a just a little bit more of you know kind of what was going on there. I think for for some people the first, second, and third tries of trying to get visas for his parents. I think that was something new that that people weren't aware of um, that they had failed on the first two attempts, and if they failed a third time, then they just failed. Period. Um, so that was that was something I think that was interesting as well um but other than that you know i think i think it just gave a little bit greater depth to all of the the things that i think bucks fans and Giannis stands more specifically have have kind of learned over the years and kind of found out about so i just think all of that was to me kind of interesting so um I'm curious what Bucks fans think about it. If you want to tweet at me at Eric underscore name or at Frank at F Madden NBA or at lockdown bucks. So um, anything else with that? Otherwise we can move on to something I teased. I mean, almost a week ago at this point, let's do it. So one thing I've been thinking about as we get ready for the final third of the season, as we get ready for the bucks to start thinking about the playoffs. And um, I guess for us to start thinking about the playoffs more generally is just thinking back to you know some of the premonitions we might have had before the season, some of the predictions we might have made, um, some of the things we just more generally thought about. And I didn't go back and grab our over-unders or anything, but I did kind of think about some of the things I thought before the season. And um, I guess one th- I can kick us off, but you know, one thing I was thinking about before the season was just um, – how aggressive I believe Mike Boonholzer would be on defense and what that defense would look like. Uh, I thought the Bucks would continue to struggle to give up corner threes because that is something that Mike Boonholzer defenses have done in the past. Um, I thought that they would continue to be pretty aggressive on defense because that is what Boonholzer did primarily in Atlanta. And obviously last season he started to use drop coverages a little bit more. And um, some people had tried to tell me like, Oh, that means he's adaptable while I kind of said like, Oh, the Hawks sucked. So maybe let's not put any stock in that. And I guess I should have put some stock in that because the Bucks have one have run one of the more conservative pick and roll coverages in the league. And obviously that's been centered around Brooke Lopez. And, you know, maybe if Brooke Lopez wasn't there, maybe that wouldn't be what they do. But Brooke Lopez is on the team and that is what they do. And I I did not see that coming. I got that wrong. And they've been one of the best defenses in the league for the entire year. I think right now they're number one in defensive rating. Um but they've been near the top the entire year and it's been largely because of a very 
uh, a very conservative pick and roll coverage and Brooke Lopez just being fantastic on that end. So uh, that is one thing I got wrong and I will wear it. And the Bucks have proven me wrong. Did you really get that? I, I feel like we were, cause I remember, I think um, when I did the, the dunked on podcast before the season, I think Nate asked me, well, what are they going to do, you know, defensively? And I, I'm, pretty sure i remember saying well they're just you know especially with lopez they're just probably going to zone drop and you know be pretty vanilla in that regard yeah i mean i I think once lopez was in the was in the mix then it was like okay like they're gonna have to drop because you can't put him out there but i guess this takes us back even further like in the spring when he was first hired that was kind of was kind of my thought but i would agree once once lopez was in the fold i think we we both kind of thought like okay they're gonna have to run drop coverage yeah and I don't think we ever, I mean, going back to even before the hire, I mean, one of our, I would say, kind of anxieties, if there were any were, well, like, don't you need to be more of a switching type team to be modern? And like, mm-hmm. Bud really isn't like a switching, a switching type guy. Um, so ironically, that has been very true. And and I think, so I would actually, I, I would, I think you were, I don't think we disagree. And I, I would give yourself more credit in the sense that, especially by the time the preseason was rolling around and, you know, we, I, I mean, I think even when from the Brook Lopez signing, I think we assumed he was going to start right from the, from the outset. Right. I don't think we had any yeah. illusions that he was going to come off the bench. So, uh, so give yourself some credit, Eric. Um, that said, um, <laughs> and we also talked a lot about how Lopez should make them a better defensive rebounding team. But I think when I think about what has surprised me, I mean, did I expect I me mean, right now, the Bucks now are second in defensive rebound rate. I didn't think they were going to be second in defensive rebound rate. Budenholzer's teams no. like have not been a team teams that, that defensive rebound well. So that has surprised me. And I believe at the beginning of the season, when we were, we did over unders around, you know, offense and defense and kind of where they would rank. And I think I said they would be top 10 defense. I was, hesitant to say that they, I, I think we just I mean we've recorded these podcasts for too many years where the Bucks should have been good defensively <laughs> and so I think I said they would be top 10 but I, I wasn't willing to say that they were going to be you know like a top three elite type defense so that has obviously been a pleasant surprise because I mean you know the scheme I mean they know exactly who they are and they've just been executed it brilliantly right I mean they've kind of really gotten everything probably they can from from you know what they have defensively i mean you know you're first in the league well, what more could you want really right um so the only question at this yeah. point is just you know um can they kind of be malleable enough to to adapt and you know play matchups in the postseason which you know we'll, we'll see in a couple months if that that happens i think we've seen more adaptability as the season goes on and more i'd say experimentation so i think that'll be a an interesting thing to watch especially beginning with the, the celtics game on thursday um and I think other than that, I mean, offensively, I remember I, you, I was going to, I was going to say one more thing defensively. Wanna, yeah. Um, I, I, I never saw a world where they'd be this good at the rim. Like I knew they'd be improved at the rim. And obviously uh, this Bucks team was very good at the rim in the 14, 15 season. And then, um, you know, had been, good defending it at other times but under jason kidd they just gave up a million shots at the rim and somehow this year they give up 10 percent fewer of their shots at the rim than they did last year and again last year they were the very worst in the league this year they are first in the league at 29.9 percent of the shot attempts that they give up and then on top of that 
no one makes a lower percentage at the rim or team yeah the the team that defends the rim the best is just the bucks but by both frequency and accuracy and you know i thought they'd get better there but you know i it's it's startling how good they are there Yeah, and they absolutely, I mean, it is just complete domination. You know, lowest percentage of shots at the rim, lowest field goal percentage allowed at the rim. I mean, 7% lower field goal percentage at the rim versus last year. And as you mentioned, 10%, you know, fewer shots. Basically, you know, rather than 40% of opponent shots, down to 30%. I mean, just a huge drop off, I mean, a quarter, you know, less, proportionately speaking. And some of those shots have definitely gone to threes, which obviously isn't ideal. Um, but many of those shots have also gone to to mid-range shots. So um, from 30.5% to 34% of shots in the mid-range. Um, and the only downside is they've seen a, a pretty big spike in above the break threes, about 6%. So again, like, you know, you squeeze the tube of toothpaste, it's got to go somewhere. Um, <laughs> it has gone away from the rim. And Have you has- ever used that analogy before? Have you heard that analogy somewhere before? Because that is fantastic, Frank. Uh, I'm, I don't think I have in regard to basketball, but... Um, I, I like you know, it. Pretty, it's well done. Pretty, pretty logical. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's been that's been obviously just a complete revolution from what they did before. And I think that's the thing, right? I mean, it, it, it would have been gutsy to, to go from literally like last to first in rim frequency, you know, middle of the pack to first in rim defense allowed, um, you know, essentially last to first in defensive rebound rate. I mean, you know, they were literally last last year in, in defensive rebound percentages here. They're second. They've been first for much of the season. Um, probably the, the most predictable change might have been going from second to last last year in opponent free throw rate to first this year just because that has been a staple of Bud defenses. They don't foul. That was a big talking point uh, of Bud in the preseason. So that probably surprises me less. Um, but yeah, I mean, the defense, obviously, I'd say has been... I mean, it's kind of interesting because I think people, like from the outside, like people still always just like gravitate towards the kind of shot chart improvements offensively that they've seen like that's always like mm-hmm. the first thing people want to talk about is now they shoot all these threes in space around Giannis and I totally get that right because from a kind of basketball thesis standpoint like that's sort of the like Giannis maximizing narrative um defensively it's very easy to maximize Giannis you just well you know do whatever and he'll just figure it out but you know <laughs> you, you, maximizing the other guys is the challenge and obviously Bud has, has done that extremely well and you know brooke's been a huge part of that story Bledsoe, you know his re-engagement um in a general sense yeah. has been huge middleton especially kind of post benching in new york has been very good for a while especially against in some really big matchups um and just generally i mean they, they just don't have you know, they're just really not like rolling out like bad defenders and, you know, Urson will get exposed certainly against, you know, kind of quicker, more athletic fours. But then he also is, you know, he's savvy and, you know, can take charges and, and do other stuff. So it hasn't like, you know, it's not like he's, I mean, he's, his plus minus numbers are still pretty good, especially with the honest. They're very good. So, um, so yeah, I mean, defensively, I think that's, I mean, as we predicted it, that was the area of opportunity and it's been the area yeah. of the, you know, I mean, you go from like, <laughs> whatever it was high teens to first i mean that's just a massive improvement it's and i think if you look at you know 5.1 points per 100 improvement on that <laughs> end of the court um but i think what's what's perhaps even more remarkable 
uh, is, you know, that, that kind of made sense because they had a lot of headroom. Offensively, they had a lot less headroom. And, you know, we talked about how good could they be. And, you know, we were kind of debating, you know, where, where, where might they end up? And um, I think, you know, beginning of the season, if I remember correctly, you know, we kind of were saying Warriors, Rockets, maybe Nuggets were sort of like, well, you're probably not going to be as you, you, mm-hmm. th- those teams are. You're just not going to be as good as offensively. But after that, I mean, what like the Timberwolves were like fourth or something last year. Like, why the hell can't this yeah. can't they be as good as the Timberwolves, right? And you know, as we sit today, cleaning the glass has them at second offensive offensively, and remarkably, they have actually improved more in raw points per 100. Well, not raw, but in points per 100 offensively than defensively plus 5.3 plus 5.3 offensively versus plus 5.3 defensively i mean i i would not have guessed that there was that much headroom to improve offensively um but it just kind of goes to show that you know you just jack threes man just jack threes um because because you look at the you look at like their four factors their turnover rate is is marginally better they've gone from 11th to 9th in turnover percentage they are a shade better on the offensive glass, 27th to 25th. Uh, they're actually notably worse in free throw rate. So um, perhaps not surprisingly, like you take a lot more threes, then you're not going to shoot as many free throws. Um, but their effective field goal percentage is up 2.3% uh, to second in the league. And, and effective field goal percentage, I mean, not surprisingly, the stat that measures whether the ball goes in the basket that's the most important of the four factors when you talk about those advanced stats that actually is going to you know have the biggest impact on offensive and defensive efficiency and yes they now have a much better shot chart they've cut out you know those mid-range shots to a significant degree which obviously that was something we hoped and expected we weren't sure exactly kind of like how much that would translate into uh you know an overall improvement they're uh 29th in mid-range frequency this year down from 14th last year so last year almost 35 percent of their shots were mid-range shots this year under 20 percent um that's obviously huge is, is that just chris middleton <laughs> it, sometimes it feels like it um yeah and I, I mean brogdon has also like i think pretty much like excised the mid-range shot from his shot profile um and even though last year i mean bledsoe too yeah like, bledsoe didn't take a ton last yeah. year but bledsoe's done the same thing yeah and the interesting thing is you know the the you look at their numbers i mean they've been a bottom 10 team in three point you know frequency you know really the last five years um even before jason kidd they were they were not good in that department this year they're second 38 percent. that's about uh, almost 11 percent increase in ratio of three pointers taken um and again you see well, okay well, where is that where is that coming from well they're actually taking more shots at the rim this year from 38.3 percent to 42.3 percent so they're second in that department so you know the fact that you've dramatically increased your three-point rate while actually also increasing your shots at the rim rate is, you know, just basketball nirvana, right? I mean, that, that's the dream that is, um, you know, squeezing that toothpaste tube in, in all the right places. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it's, 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 uh, you're literally put, you're literally squeezing the middle of that toothpaste and everything's going to the ends, right. To the three point line and to the rim. And um, that maybe isn't great for your, you know, utility of your getting tooth the, the toothpaste out but um but it is good in basketball and uh and again 15 percent reduction in the frequency of their mid-range shots that's obviously um going to you know lead to to improvements even if you're not a great great three-point shooting team which you know we've seen i mean the bucks have been 
a team that misses a lot of wide open threes. Um, and uh, but you know, the flip side is they get tons and tons of open threes just because of you know, a guy like Giannis. And you know, I think as we said, I think when you um, I, well, let me let me pause. There, I want to talk a little bit about predictions that we had for some specific players. Um, but anything else you want to add sort of in terms of the offense uh, and the defense and, and kind of what what we've seen or what surprised us or, or what's not surprised us? Yeah, it, it's funny. I was honestly just thinking about this earlier this week, but I remember um, it was still when I was at ESPN Milwaukee going on shows the day after and telling uh, all of our hosts that were like, oh, wow, this really can help out the offense. And I just remember telling them like, no, like this is, this is about the defense. Like that's where they're really going to improve. Boonholzer is obsessed with defense. His teams have been in the top five regularly in defense. Like that is where this team is going to improve. And I just remember people being like, wait, what? And I, I still felt, I still felt like, you know, once we got outside of May, like, we're still having those conversations with people where, you know, everyone was excited about the offense. And I think both you and I were just like, Nope, it's the defense. Like the, the defense is going to be it. And ironically enough, I think that led to us being wrong in some ways about the offense. I, I thought we both believed it was going to get better, but uh, I just didn't think it could get this much better when it was already as good as it was last year. Like uh, it just didn't, it, it didn't seem possible. Um, you, you know, I thought the the shot selection would improve a little bit, um, and that would change some things. But it, it just didn't. It, to me, it didn't feel like that could really happen. And you know, I think the one thing, and we're about to get into this with individual stuff. We haven't talked about this, but I'm assuming we're going to get into this with in, with individual stuff. But I think the one thing we didn't foresee was that this could have such a such a, uh, I, don't, it, I don't think we, we imagine this getting as spread out as it does that it, it would really be Giannis continuing to get his, his stats and, you know, seeing him really thrive and then seeing it spread out evenly uh, across the rest of, of the team. I, I don't, I just don't think we, we saw that coming and, you know, cause some of the overrunners we set were about, you know, Chris Middleton and how much he was going to score and play and Eric Bledsoe and how much he was going to score and shots that he was going to take. Like those were, were our thoughts. And, you know, it was just like, Oh, you know, we didn't get it right that Malcolm Brogdon was going to get as many attempts as he does. And we didn't get it wrong that Brooke Lopez was going to, you know, get as many attempts as he does and have the impact that he does. So uh, I guess in some ways we, we should have known that with the Hawks it does, or with Boonholzer and with the Spurs and with Boonholzer's Hawks, like it did kind of tend to get spread out. Um, but if if we did get one thing wrong offensively, obviously we knew the shot profile was going to get much better. Uh, and, you know, we really thought everyone was going to kind of embrace the three-point shot. Uh, you know, if we got one thing wrong, it was that it was going to be as egalitarian a, a, as it has been. Well, let me push back on that a little bit because, I mean, I think one thing we talked about was that Giannis's um, improvement might not like there was a very good chance that Giannis's sort of improvement would be less about his scoring and more about his playmaking and making other guys better. And part of that too, we talked sure. about, you know, um, they're like the minutes were probably going to go down. Right. Like I remember we were talking about Middleton and like his scoring and I, I got wrong. I said, 
I think you put the over under on Middleton scoring at like 21 a game or something like that. And I think I might've taken the over. I think I took the over on whatever you picked. Um, and so obviously I've been way, way wrong on that. And, you know, in reality, Chris's scoring is per minute flat with what he did last year. So, I mean, he really hasn't changed. He's just playing fewer minutes. And Giannis, interestingly, you know, we did the over under on Giannis and we said, you know, we just said, basically said his number last year, is he going to score more or less? And, you know, I think, I think you also were with me in saying, you know, we didn't necessarily think he's going to have a huge explosion scoring wise, just because we thought he was going to make other guys better. And, you know, I, I was very confident his assist number was going to definitely get a big bump. Um, but he's, you know, he really has been right where we expect that he's a little bit higher in points per game, 27.2 versus 26.9. But then when you look at it per minute, he's, you know, notably better because he's playing three or four minutes fewer per game. So, I think the area we probably got the most right was was Giannis, just because I think that in that last over-under, I also talked about how I thought he was going to get a ton of rebounds this year, in part because Lopez is a box-out guy and not a mm-hmm. like rebounder himself. And obviously, like, you know, that's kind of worked out extremely well. And I mean, you know, to go from like 10 even, I mean, two years ago, he's at 8.8, 10 even last year, now like 12 and a half rebounds a game. <laughs> um, I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, he's putting up like freaking kg rebound numbers and um obviously you know the, the game has changed a little bit in the sense that teams don't challenge as much on the defensive glass um or you know teams don't crash the offensive glass i should say um so there's a lot more kind of you know probably well i i would posit i haven't looked at the data i would i would posit there's more kind of uncontested rebounds to be had now than there used to be um but i mean look it, it's great for the bucks if Giannis is able to focus on on grabbing those rebounds because it means that you know he's starting the break and you know able to look up court and and get things going with with his speed so um so yeah i think we we got a lot of the Giannis storyline right um we also were way over on his triple double um over under we thought he was gonna you know start getting triple doubles again which he just really play him a little more bud cheat no i'm just kidding yeah. i mean the exact opposite don't play him more no 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 yeah we're good we're good uh those third quarter triple doubles have been uh, have been enjoyable i think he's probably got as many third quarter triple doubles this year as he had like what he had like two or three triple doubles all last year and i think he's got two mm. or three like three quarter triple doubles so far this year um, how many triple doubles has he had this year three he has to have more than that right he had the um let's let's look it up I think they have it on uh, the ESPN page. Because I think the Vegas number before the season was two and a half, and everyone thought it was extremely easy money. Um, he has five. He has five this year. So, yeah, it has been. But <laughs> who would have thought that, you know, the reason for it was, you know, he's just not playing enough. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. yeah. Sure. No, I mean, he probably has seven, seven, maybe eight, if he if he's playing 37 minutes per game this mm-hmm. year. Um, so we'll see, you know, how, uh, how that kind of continues to trend, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think we got a lot of the Giannis storyline, right? I, I will say this. I mean, I didn't expect his free throw and three point shooting to like swan dive the way it did, especially early in the season. That was, um, you know, it, it's interesting to think, I mean, if he was just hitting free throws at his normal, like 70, you know, he hit 76% last year, 77% the year before he's at a shade under 72% now. And, you know, given he takes almost 10 per game, um, you know, that's like almost like a half point that that you're missing out on because he just isn't making free throws at the rate. And then you look at the three point numbers and it's kind of a similar story. Um, You know, there's 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 
points he's leaving on the table just because he's not hitting, you know, even 30% for the season. So we'll see. He's obviously been trending in the right direction there. Um, but by the same token, I mean, he's shooting 64% from two point range right now, which, uh, I mean, is just, just not um, for a guy who is not on his own. Not, it's one thing if you're DeAndre Jordan and you're just finishing alley oops. You know, 64% on twos. Last year, he was at 55%. The year before, 56%. Um, that is a just an insane level of efficiency to have. Um, I, I mean, I certainly didn't expect that level of, of effectiveness um, from from two-point range. And, um, you know, kind of quietly, 41.5% on long twos. Um, career best number uh, in that regard. So even with the threes not falling, he has been able to, uh, you know, hit some jumpers this year, but obviously room for improvement. So, um, so yeah, I think that's probably a big part of the story. Um, and I'm trying to think like, you know, I would say kind of other guys, I guess, um, you know, we, we, we wanted to believe in Sterling Brown. It took a little while, but he eventually obviously found his way into the rotation. Um, we definitely did not expect DJ Wilson to, to get, no. uh, to carve out his, his spot in the rotation. Um, we were very been, wrong on that, even into the season. Yeah. Very wrong on that. Yeah. Very wrong on that. Um, I mean, I did not think Thon maker was, was going to be traded or d- demand Agreed. a trade slash get traded. Right. Not much less if for a trade involving Nikola Miritich. I mean, that, that you, I would have been shocked if, if I heard that, I would have probably assumed that he had that Thon had like some major breakout or something like that, which obviously he was better this year, but you know, that's not, that's not why they traded him. So, um, so anyway, so yeah, there's definitely been some surprises. It's been interesting that, I mean, I don't think either of us thought Dante DiVincenzo like, like should have had a big role on this team this year. Um, we were, I would say, you know, um, thought it was interesting that he had sort of the teacher's pet um, <laughs> role early in the season. Yeah. And now it's kind of funny because he's been out of the rotation and now he's got this heel issue, which nobody really talks about because like he's out of the rotation anyway. Um, but it is a bit interesting because, you know, there was, we didn't think he was going to be necessarily a rotation guy. And then he was the first guy off the bench to start the season. <laughs> and then he yep. sort of between injuries and inability to hit threes and just, rookie itis um has kind of completely sort of you know fallen into uh you know sort of the shadows a bit uh on the roster so um so yeah i, I don't know i mean I, I don't know if there are any other like shocking things i mean i think bledsoe has been obviously a very pleasant surprise um especially defensively but again like that was really just the question like does bledsoe engage it wasn't like oh i can't believe he's able to play this defense right it's not like oh i can't believe yep. he's getting to the rim and finishing right like you know, we talked a lot about Bledsoe being the kind of quiet beneficiary of Lopez's spacing and how it wasn't just going to be Giannis. And I think that's been a, a huge storyline in terms of Bledsoe's value to the team. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of it is not necessarily um, like we we didn't foresee, you know, with exception of like a guy like Wilson. I think it's like, I don't know if anybody's like shocking with what they're doing. It's more just the magnitude of the sum of the parts. Um, the fact that it's it's all... Like not just are they finally like a good defense, but they're the best defense in the league. Not only are they, you know, even better offensively, they're like almost as good as the Warriors, which is like, you know, not something we expected. And they're better yeah. than, you know, the Rockets and the Nuggets and some of these other teams that you just thought look watching them last year were great. And I think fundamentally, I think what it's really what what maybe we maybe how we spin this into um, you know, the 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 thing that we got right was coaching i mean i think just everything we've seen this year um you know we can talk yep. about the value of brooke lopez who's been great but 
the Bucks are freaking awesome with Brooke Lopez on the bench too. Um, it's not like this team falls apart without him. Um, and Ursula Silva is not like some, you know, generational free agent signing or something like that. Um, this team is great because they have figured out how to use pieces that were really more or less the same guys last year and they just couldn't use them correctly. And um, both, you know, Jason Kidd's uh, much maligned defense as well as the offense and the kind of unimaginativeness of the offense. Uh, I think, you know, everything we've seen this year has really just validated all the complaints that, you know, that we talked about and that, you know, large swaths of Bucks Nation were bemoaning for, you know, the better part of the last couple of years, just an unimaginative offense that wasn't really maximizing their players, was not, you know, stretching to the three-point line, was not embracing the modern vision of the NBA, and obviously just a defense that was kind of, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Um, so, shout to Mike Wittenholzer. Um, it's, it's an amazing testament to me. You know, I think what you can do when you have talent and, you know, last year when you don't really maximize it and this year when you do. Yeah. I mean, it, we started last season by saying, you know, if this Bucks team isn't a top 10 defense, like Jason Kidd should get fired because it, it just doesn't make any sense that you have that much defensive talent. And, you know, it, it's funny spending as much time around the team as I do this year in my new job, because Bud will tell anyone that will listen that this team has an insane amount of defensive talent and it all starts with that talent and, you know, the schemes can do whatever the schemes can do, but you got to have talented defensive players. And as you said, like they're largely the same as last season. Um, and I think Brooke Lopez has been a, a very pleasant surprise with how good he's been uh, protecting the rim, how good he's been in space, like all of those things. But, you know, it's, it's really a, a credit to Mike Budenholzer. So, um, yeah, I think it, the the things that we got most large we got most wrong in a larger sense is just the magnitude to which we believed things would change. <laughs> I think we, we thought there was at least some chance of all these things happening. And then it, it just went to this whole other level and, you know, they, they've really embraced that change and just taken it just taken over the league through that change. So um, I would say that has really been, um, you know, if there's something that we got wrong, it's just how, how drastic that change could be. And then, um, you know, from an individual perspective, I, I think, and this kind of plays into team stuff, but just the fact that contracts haven't played into this season quite yet. Um, we went into the season talking again and again about how everyone in the starting lineup outside of Giannis needs a new contract at the end of the year. And I mean, I think the, the times in which any of those four guys have played selfishly or thought they were too big for, for whatever they were doing is, I, I don't even know if I need a whole hand to count the number of times. Like, I don't even know if I can think of five times that that has happened this year. Like, obviously, Middleton game benched on that December 1st game against the Knicks kind of comes to mind. But outside of that, uh, there's not a whole lot. Uh, you know, maybe maybe Malcolm Brogdon not passing in transition, uh, but I don't think that has anything to do <laughs> with his contract. Like, that's just... Uh, uh, maybe, yeah. It, it, but, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's really... To me, it's really difficult to to see any of that. And, you know, in a league that 
players are always trying to get the the most out of their careers, the most uh, the biggest contracts, like all of those things. That to me has been a surprise that you know you haven't seen. I mean, even cracks in that in that facade of trying to be a team player and allowing team success to be the reason uh, behind you getting a pay raise. Like that's just, it's kind of crazy. And you know, it, that they deserve a lot of credit for not allowing it to, to kind of get to that spot where they've just, you know, played through and, and done what they needed to do. So kudos to them. Um, Anything else you're, you're thinking about for surprises, things we got wrong or anything like that, or otherwise we can wrap this thing up. I think the only other thing that's worth highlighting is just, you know, I think one of the pleasant surprises was, you know, we started free agency off with that Ilyasova signing, which again, I think is um, still going to be a problem for this team heading into the summer, given just the tightness of um, their financial situation and just the, the number of really quality players that they're going to have to resign, which again is, you know, the first world problem being, um, you know, a, a top team in the NBA, but um you know, we, I, I mean, I, I don't regret anything we said about the Ursan signing. He's been, you know, up and down overall, pretty solid. We'll see if, you know, how useful he is in a playoff setting against better teams. Um, but I think the thing that has been a really pleasant surprise was just sort of like how the Bucks rebounded from that. And obviously it all started with, with going after Lopez and bringing Lopez in. And, you know, I don't, I don't think it's going to shock anyone to say, you know, Brooks, been the best value signing of, of the summer for by any team. Um, you know, arguably the best value signing in Bucks free agent history, uh, which not that there are that many um, competing options for that title, but uh, he's obviously been just was a great signing. Um, now, flip side, you can say, well, if the Bucks were such visionaries, why did it take them so long to give him that little money? <laughs> Why didn't they offer him Ursan money on July one? Right. Um, you know, that's always the flip side, right? Like say the old, uh, the old thing of, you know, if the, if the Warriors were that smart drafting Draymond, why did they pick, uh, who was it? They picked um, Vesta Azili ahead of, yeah. <laughs> ahead of him, um, you know, but Hey, ultimately they, they picked Draymond and, and ultimately the Bucks got Brooke Lopez. And um, you know, that's, that's an awesome thing. And they deserve a lot of credit for, um, you know, Bud and John Horst and and the staff for you know realizing that um, that that's a guy that that they should go after. Uh, and since then, you know, the moves that set up the bigger move, I think deserve. Again, we talked about it when the Miritich trade happened, but um, you know, Ernie Grunfeld, uh, you know, basically giving them a couple of second round picks, um, you know, in essence, just to eat some salary and help the Wizards get under. Uh, the luxury tax; those were not moves that, you know, were necessarily going to engender a lot of, uh, you know, talk radio discussion. Certainly in the, um, you know, the the very uh, weird world of of lockdown bucks, we enjoyed talking about those those moves using, you know, the Jody <laughs> Meeks contract and eating that salary using their trade exception that was expiring to get that, um, and then you know getting that that other pick in uh in the bigger Delavidova Henson deal, which, you know, again is, you know, kind of a trying to make the best of a bad situation type trade. But, you know, the fact that you get a rotation player in George Hill who gives you really valuable insurance as a combo guard and and can be a guy that plays for you in the playoffs real minutes. And on top of that, you know, basically you up you get a better player and you shed long term salary for the price of a pretty heavily protected future first round pick 
again, you don't want to have to give up first round picks to get off salary. But, um, you know, I think the Bucks did about as, as well as they probably could have in that trade. And then, you know, at the end of the deadline it, to be able to, to take a big swing and land a guy like Miritich who, uh, you know, again, kind of coming full circle potentially makes Ilyasova not even needed really in, in a playoff rotation, right? You can, you know, have a scenario where you don't even need to play Ursan if he's the weak link. Um, and to have a guy like Miritich who gives you kind of a different dimension offensively. Um, I mean, that's a huge, huge ad. And again, it was set up by a series of moves that were, you know, pretty marginal moves, not moves that are going to be on the radar of a lot of fans. Um, you know, second round picks are not very sexy to many. Um, you know, they got that other second round pick from Denver in that Roy Hibbert trade, which was just to get, uh, I believe that was just getting Denver above the salary floor um, and netted the box a pick, which you didn't even think would ever convey. Uh, and now it might convey because the Nuggets are good and, you know, they used it in that trade. And so, again, just kind of, you know, scrumming, scrounging around in the, uh, in, in the, between the pillows <laughs> of, uh, of the couch, finding a, you know, a nickel there, uh, an old dime there. And, you know, next thing you know, you've got, uh, enough, enough spare change to, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the metaphor is a delicious candy bar of sure. some sort. I don't know what Nikola yeah. Miritich is in this case. Um, but you get something that, that actually, um, is, is something pretty, pretty useful. And, um, and obviously, um, we'll see here, you know, uh, fingers crossed he's back every expectation that he'll be back here after the break. And, you know, you, hopefully you can integrate him quickly and, um, hopefully you can elevate your offense to, uh, to an even better, uh, better level than it's been. So, um, again, just a lot of things, I think just kind of coming together, whether it's, you know, the on-court stuff is obviously the, the real headliner, but, um, also just a number of, um, pretty savvy moves off court paying off and, and obviously, you know, DJ Wilson resurrecting himself, um, and becoming a useful NBA player. I mean, you know, again, that totally changes the, I think the way we perceive, you know, the Bucks drafts over the past couple of years. Right. Um, so, so anyway, um, yeah, what a, what a feel good episode of Lockdown Bucks. I feel like when there's no games, you should be able to feel positive when your team is first in the NBA, and hopefully, uh, hopefully we manage. Yeah, to I feel like today. even each time we tried to dump on each other, the the other one of us picked them up and said, you I know, kept, you know we're, you, we weren't that wrong. I, you, we weren't that wrong. You try, you, yeah, exactly. You kept trying to say you got stuff wrong. I was like, Eric, you didn't really, you didn't really get that wrong. <laughs> wow, such positive uh, thinkers we have here. Um, Man, rule number one seems so far away. Uh, wow, what, what a what a what a year it has been uh, in Milwaukee Bucks fandom. All right, that is going to be it for us for tonight on Locked On Bucks. Uh, big game coming up on Thursday, or I guess big ish. I don't know. Uh, we need we can talk about that tomorrow. How big that game actually is. Bucks Celtics coming up on Thursday. We'll preview that and talk to you about everything else that we think is relevant. So. For Frank Madden, I'm Eric Dame. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.